Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to Save Your Sanity, Help for Toxic Relationships. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. I'm delighted that you're joining me tonight and that you have found the podcast. If you've been listening for a while, I'm glad you've returned. And if you just found me, I'm happy that you did. Tonight, we're going to be talking about 10 surefire signs of an emotional abuser. And I talk about so many things on the podcast, but tonight I just wanted to go and give a bit of a roundup for people who might be in denial or not wanting to believe that they're with an emotional abuser. So I've chosen some things that you may or may not have thought of in this terms of emotional abuser in order to help you calibrate if that's in fact what's happening for you in a relationship with a partner, a parent, a sibling, and an adult child, you want to recognize what absolutely constitutes an emotional abuser. Now I'm going to give you 10. There are many, many more, but these are very important things to, to learn about. And if you've been enjoying the podcast for a while, you will know where to find other episodes at saveyoursanitypodcast.com. But I invite you to go there. There is over 240 episodes for you. Do a search if you're looking for something in particular, saveyoursanitypodcast.com or wherever you like to get your podcast. It's just easier on my website to find what you're looking for. And if you'd like to support the work, I'd love that. Go to patreon.com slash saveyoursanity, patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. So we're going to talk about these 10 surefire signs of an emotional abuser. And I'll just say again that nobody likes to think they're with an abuser. It's not a fault or a flaw that you can't see the emotional abuse at the beginning. You just simply want to believe that you can change things. There's something that you can do. And I understand that. You want to believe you chose well. You want to believe that the person that you met is the real person and the person you're seeing on a day-to-day basis is not the real person. That's upside down. We know that emotional abusers like to feed into your fantasy of the perfect relationship. They want to present themselves as your soulmates in the beginning. So that's not the real person. They're doing that to impress you and to get you. In my book, Escaping the Hijackle Trap, I have a whole chapter called The Gotcha Factor. That's right. They want to get you so that they feel they've got that nailed down and then they can behave in the ways that they prefer to behave on a daily basis. So we want to be able to see these signs. And if as you're listening to this and you want more information, 
You can always use my new client one-time offer. You'll find it at beaclient.com. You can spend a whole hour with me for $97, just a one-time thing, but it may help you. So go to beaclient.com. So let's get into these 10 things. You may have heard about coercive control because I did a podcast on it and you can search as I was mentioning for that podcast and really go into it. But coercion, that that word is just so fraught with pain, isn't it? To be coerced into doing something, to be coerced into thinking something. And so coercion entails the use of force or threats to compel or dispel a particular response. So in addition to causing immediate pain or fear, or maybe even injury, it can be behavioral, it can be psychological, as well as physical. So if somebody is always wanting to make you do what they want you to do, they threaten you if you don't do what they want you to do. If there is coercive control happening. Now, a person, Evan Stark, wrote a book by that name, and he based it on his studies, and he was just looking at men controlling women. But coercive control happens in both directions. Women control men, men control women. It's all there. Maybe slightly different ways, but it's all there. So if you find that you are experiencing coercive control, somebody is endeavoring to um, make you do something, to make you see something, to cause you to think you are avoiding pain if you do what they want you to do, then that is coercive control. And it really requires a good look because you know, in the literature, it says that coercive control may be defined as an ongoing pattern of domination interwoven with physical, verbal, emotional, sexual threats or violence with intimidation, degradation, isolation, and control. So that's a big one. And as I said, I've already done a podcast on it, so you can go and listen to that whole podcast. But if you feel coerced all the time, you better do that. You know what to do. You know what's good for you. That kind of thinking is coercive. And if that is showing up on a frequent basis in your relationship, then it is time to recognize that that is emotional abuse. And the person that you are experiencing that from is an emotional abuser. Number two is that they're controlling, and that is certainly part of coercive control. But they want you to think like them. They want you to behave in ways that they feel are appropriate. They want you to look the way they want you to look. They want you to be quiet. They want you to be outgoing. Whatever suits their purposes to feel validated by having you in their life, that's what they want to do. And then they want to control your, your being, and they want to control your thoughts. They want to control your expectations, and they want to control your movements and whereabouts. And that control can exist in so many ways. You know, I was married to a hijack call and an abuser, and 
it was just incredible. Like all the cans in the canned food cupboard had to be alphabetical with all of the labels facing outwards perfectly aligned. Did it make a difference to the contents of the food? No, it was just the way he wanted it. And it was an easy thing to give up and say, sure, I'll do that, because it really wasn't worth arguing over. But couple that with another many, many actions, expectations, threats on his part, and we ended up with an an enormous amount of him endeavoring to control me. Now, I'm happy to say that I was divorced within three and a half years, but it didn't matter. That control was still there. And as most of you listen to the podcast regularly know, I had hijackal parents. So the control was something that was familiar to me. Now, of course, I did I did see my way clearly to, to leave and take the children and manage my life differently. But that was available to me. But the controlling and the coercive control, that was also present. So the third part of this is isolation. And just yesterday or so, I had a client talk to me about, well, my my fiancé says that after we get married, we should move to this remote place where none of us have any friends and we should start again and we should do uh, live off the grid and have subsistence farming. And it, he made it sound so attractive and so compelling and so romantic. But it, something was off, the person said to me. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think that long before you agree to do anything like that, you should be looking at this fiancé in other ways. Now, of course, he could be perfectly lovely, but of course she's talking to me, so therefore she already had other signs that she was concerned about, and yet she was almost ready to be swept up into this lovely idea of moving remotely and being together and being a team and managing in this isolated place. Well, a hijackal loves to isolate you because then they can control you more. And I said to her, you know, why don't you wait a year to get married and just see how the things that you're concerned about now play out when you don't want to go and live in that remote place, when you don't want to do some of the things that he wants. Let's see what happens. But isolating is all to the advantage of the abuser. And I was saying to her, you know, you have your own car. What happens if you get out there and he goes to work and leaves you with the car? The car breaks down. What if he happens to, happens to take your car keys and leave you isolated there? What happens? What happens? What happens when you find yourself with no one to turn to and nowhere to escape? So coercive behavior controlling behavior and the desire to isolate you. It may not be as extreme as that. It may be wanting to isolate you from your friends. Don't you want to spend all the time with me? I love you. Um, Why do you have to have friends when you have me? I don't like that. I think we should get new friends together. Another form of isolation. Or 
I don't like your family. We need to create our own. Let's move far away from your family. I don't want to speak to them anymore. A client was telling me that her son got married and it all sounded wonderful until the day after the wedding when the bride said to the groom, I'm your family now. You must never speak to your parents or your siblings again. Whoo, that is isolation. So three big ones right off the bat that tell us clearly that we are with someone who is emotionally abusive. Now, the fourth one, sometimes a little harder to see. It, hijackals like to minimize or deny that they have any faults or flaws or that they're abusive in any way. And if they do sort of suggest they might have been abusive, you know what they say. It's your fault. If you hadn't done this or that, I wouldn't be angry. If you hadn't spoken back to me, I wouldn't have had a reason to do that. And everything comes back to being your fault. All of their negative behaviors, all of their abuse comes back to being your fault. Isn't that magical? Now, I did a whole podcast on what we call blame shifting, that just as soon as you say, you know, there's something that I, I think would be great if it didn't happen anymore and you didn't do it anymore, all of a sudden it's gone around and it's right back at you. No, you do that, not me. You do that. And that's blame shifting. They're not going to have any any understanding of them having to take responsibility for their behaviors, they are going to shift them entirely onto you. And so they will minimize, they will deflect, but they will not admit that they're abusive. Now, I did have a client a few weeks ago whose husband is particularly abusive, and she was threatening to leave him and he did go the full force and said, I know I've been abusive. I will never do it again. And she said to me, what do I do? I said, you tell him, I will believe you when you haven't been abusive for six months. I will just watch. And in the meantime, we'll separate and I will watch. Now, that's not the answer for everybody, but in that particular situation, I felt it was a good answer to give her. So their ability to, to take responsibility or, or be accountable for their behavior is very small, but they minimize what they're doing to you. They don't want to be seen in that light, and they don't want to be described in that light. So that will also happen, that they will minimize or deny the abuse. And heaven help you if you call it abuse, because that just is poking a hijackal. <laughs> and we know we don't poke hijackals. We observe them. We watch their behavior and we believe their behavior. And I'm sure everyone who's been listening to me for a while knows the formula. A, B, B. Let's say it together. Always believe behavior. It doesn't matter what a person says. It matters what they do do. And when you see that their words don't match their behavior, big red flag. And if you see that their words do match their behavior, big bonus, if it's positive. <laughs> so important to realize that number four, they will minimize or deny any behaviors they have that are less than wonderful and certainly will not agree that they're abusive. 
The number five of things that identify an emotional abuser is they will use their children to back up claims about the other parent. They will endeavor to engage their children as their allies against the other parent. If you have been in a relationship like this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They have no problem saying, well, your mother's really forgetful, isn't she? And then turn to the children. Or something much worse than forgetful. But they will paint a picture of you to the children to have them begin to agree with the abuser as opposed to with the other parent. And there's so many shenanigans that go on there, truly, uh, with the person who is abusive and the way that they use their children. Now, I often say that in my view, hijackers have children for three reasons. To have someone to agree with them, to have someone to serve their purposes, and to have someone who will validate them by making them look good. Those are uses for your children if you're a hijackal. We're not here to use our children. You know, last episode, I talked about how narcissistic parents damage their children. And I called it upside-down parenting. Because in a healthy home, the parents meet the needs of the children. But in a hijackal home, the children are expected to meet the needs of the parents. And go and listen to that episode if that intrigues you, because there was so much there for you. But you see this issue of using the children against the other parent. You can tell they've never read a parenting book, right? And if they had read it, they probably refuted it. But they certainly won't practice so that's a very big way, how they interact with their children, how they use their children. Number six is economic deprivation. A surefire sign of an emotional abuser is that they like to control the money. They make you account for every living cent you spend. Therefore, you become coercively controlled again, fear and intimidation that you have to ask them for money to live, that you never know how much money you actually have as a family. They will do things behind your back. They will go out and buy large items, and they will do it without consultation with you. And then they'll expect you to chip in and pay for them, or they'll expect you to give them your paycheck if you work. And they will manage the money. Now, I, I believe that over 50% of the relationships that I have been invited to help with, in over 50% of them, the hijackal partner took control of the money and then took money out of that for their own uses and put it into their own devices in their own names, in their own bills, assets, 401ks, whatever, and gave no indication to their partner that they'd done it. Which is why when these people are divorcing, particularly people who have quite a substantial income, I always advise we get a forensic accountant to find all the money. 
because of number six, the economic deprivation. Have you had that experience where the hijackal wants to run all the money and every time you need money, you have to ask? Or that you live in fear of having the even the grocery bills looked at to see, did you buy too much or did you get cash back? Because it's an element of control. If I can control whether you can buy food, that's pretty primary, isn't it? Emotional abusers like to do that because it causes you to live in fear and to have anxiety all the time for yourself and the children. Does that happen in your relationship? Are you confident that your partner who seems to have hijackal tendencies is being fair and accurate with the money? It's a big question. Definitely one to think about. Okay, number seven. They entrap and enslave their partner. They make it so that you get worn down, torn down, and put down to the degree that they will catch you in your own words. They will do things to cause you to feel like, I have no escape. I don't know what to do. They will threaten to hurt the children if you don't do what they want you to do. The whole idea is ultimate control. Is that familiar? Does it feel like that? Maybe you're out of it. Do you remember feeling like that? Because this is emotional abuse. It is designed to wear you down emotionally or psychologically and to gain more and more control. Now, the next one is a big one. And I put it under the title of surveillance because it is so broad. Does your partner or a mother or anybody that you have in their mind tonight as you're listening, does that person blow up your phone, want to know where you are all the time, call you and say, you said you'd be here five minutes ago, where are you? You must be cheating. Do they put a GPS tracker on your phone? Do they put one on your car? Have they installed cameras in your home? Do you know if they have? It's very important for you to know if these things are in your home or in your car or on your phone. So be very careful to check. Go and have it checked. Go to an automobile place and have them put the car up and have a thorough look underneath, which is the most likely place the GPS tracker will be. Have someone come and bring equipment to determine if anything is being videotaped in your home. All of these things, I have horrible stories I could tell you about this surveillance. But I think the the really nasty part is this blowing up your phone. Where are you? What are you doing? Who are you with? I bet you aren't. I bet you're with somebody else. What are you trying to do? Don't play into that. Just don't play into that. I know it's difficult, but just say, you know, I, I'm a grown person and I can manage to get from my work to home in a reasonable manner and you can trust me that I will perhaps have stopped for groceries, but I'm not going to answer the phone every few minutes 
It's unsafe. I can't drive like that. I can't manage the children like that. And I know you want me to come home safely with the children. And I have all kinds of tips and strategies for how to do it. But there's an example of one, how you can do it without blame. But isn't that just the worst? They're blowing up the phone all the time. I've had clients where they're sitting in their car talking to me, which is a very common occurrence, and the partner will call 10 times, 15 times in the hour that we are speaking because the whereabouts of their partner who is speaking to me are currently unknown and they cannot stand it. They cannot let it go. That's emotional abuse to not think that you can manage your life to the point where you can be trust, excuse me, trusted to arrive when it is appropriate to arrive and to be trusted to be doing what's in the best interest of the family if you happen to be a few minutes late. That's the ultimate in control, wanting to know where you are every last second. And it is anything but love. You know, in the beginning, when we're in the love bombing stage, I've had people say, Oh, well, it's so lovely. I mean, he always wants to check in with me or she always wants to know what I'm up to. Yeah, how frequently did this happen in the beginning of the relationship and you think it was cute? You think it represented love? You think it represented caring? No, no healthy person has to know where you are all the time. You will never develop a trust bond with that kind of behavior, will you? So it's really important to recognize that that whole business of surveillance is huge. It's really huge. Another thing that they like to do is to degrade and demean and discount and dismiss you. They like to convince you and do their very best job to convince you that you're worthless, that you are not worthy of trust. You are not worthy of having an opinion. You are not worthy of expressing your needs and wants. That you are stupid or incompetent or lazy or oversexed or frigid or a bad parent or, oh, goodness, a useless partner. Anything to have power over you to make you feel small. And they do it over and over and over again. And the longer you're with them, the more they do it. And you may have times when everything is okay, when they're feeling extremely secure. You may have a few weeks, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, here it comes again. They're at you. They're putting you down, wearing you down, tearing you down, as I said earlier, just so that they can feel a little bigger and a little better and a little more on top. Something's going on with them that they're not feeling really strong and confident, so They think that they're going to get strength and confidence by making you feel small. And that's emotional abuse. Now, the last one is outright violence. You know, when they they have to grab you or they try to restrain you from leaving a room or much, much worse than that. Because the emotional toll that physical violence takes on you is huge. And they, they do it so that you will become more malleable, more flexible, more willing to do what they say to avoid physical violence later. That's a very sad way of endeavoring to get control over you. And they will threaten to hurt the pets or threaten to hurt the children or threaten to not bring them back or whatever they need to do. But 
then if if you don't comply with what I want you to do, then I will resort to violence. The first time an abuser puts hands on you, please call the police, please press charges. The first time, don't say, oh, they're having a bad day. No, you have to send a clear, clear, clear message. This is not okay. Too many times people do that. They do the exact right thing, and then they get fearful, and I understand it completely. They get fearful of the abuser, and they don't make the charges continue. And so you just told the abuser that you will put up with their abuse. You just gave them a pass to do it again. So if you haven't called the police when somebody puts hands on you, please do it the next time. You need it on the record. You need them to have a record of it. You need to be able to show at any time if they do it again or you want to divorce them that this is a pattern. And the whole idea of coercive control is to show that it is a pattern of coercion. It's not necessarily punctuated by physical violence. What is special about coercive control is that it shows a pattern of denial, a pattern of suppression, a pattern of threat, a pattern maybe of physical violence. And you must have a good look at that. An abuser, an emotional abuser, a hijackal, will legitimize what they're doing, convincing you that they have the right to control and punish you. You know, maybe they say, well, I'm the head of the household, or I bring in the money, or I have more education, or I am the one who takes responsibility for everything. And then there are the whole set of other ones who just make you wrong for anything that you do. And it is never good enough or right enough. And you don't keep them in the style to which they've never been able to keep themselves, but would like to become accustomed. (laughs) I've known stories of abusers who refuse to work, sit on the couch, play video games all day or drink or whatever they do. And when their partner comes home, nothing is done. Absolutely nothing is done. And then they make the partner wrong for being two minutes late or not making enough money or not trying hard enough. And the vicious cycle has begun. I'm here to help you put an end to this, to put an end to that. And if I can help you and you want to discuss these things with me, go to beaclient.com. That'll give you that one-time opportunity, a full hour with me to discuss what's going on to help you recognize that. And if you'd like to be part of my Emerging Empowered community, you can come over to jointintoday.com. It's a fairly new community, great time to join because you get far more airtime from me. Lots of perks. You get something new just for members every 21 days. You get participation in all the discussion forums completely off any social media you get two two ask me anything group calls with me every month you get seminars you get discounts on all of my products so many things 
So come on over to joinintoday.com, no matter where you are in the journey, because the Emerging Empowered Community is based on the things that I've said here many times. No matter what, if you are just beginning to realize that you are with an emotional abuser, let's have you emerging empowered into that and recognizing that you'll know when it's time to leave, if it's time to leave. But I want you to be emerging empowered, not cowed down, not afraid, not a mess, not with no money. I want you to be emerging empowered. And that's what I encourage you to do and give you the tools to do in the emerging empowered community. If you want to talk to me or I'll go to and take my free checklist or see the products I have, the books and webinars, go to forrelationshiphelp.com. I'm so glad you were with me this evening, and I hope that until we speak again, you will treat yourself very well because you're precious and you matter. Talk soon. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.